made it, friends, through the longest series I've ever preached in my life. Um, And I feel like I left a whole lot on the table uh, when it comes to this idea of church. Um, There was a lot of motives with uh, why, why I thought we really felt pulled to, to talk about this because I think um, it's, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to be involved in the idea of church for until Jesus comes, it's a good idea for us to know what a church does and what it doesn't do. And, and so we've gone through a lot and there's a lot of material. We feel like we, you know, we probably could go a whole lot longer, but we're about to move into missions month. And, uh, uh, by the way, uh, we, we, you're going to love that. We have our women's dinner coming up. Today's the last day to sign up for that. And, and we, we're, we're moving in. Ariana Walker is going to be here. Ariana Wolka, uh, from, uh, sorry, when I get around her and, and all them, I just start speaking weird, uh, you know, going back to my English heritage roots, uh, you know, I guess, but, uh, there, she's really great and you're going to love her and we're going to talk about empower and all the different things with freedom ministry and if you if you're a guest today I'm telling you November's a cool month around here mainly because I don't preach and and uh, and y'all get a much needed break and and uh, but it's it, we got all kinds of guest speakers coming in and and it's really cool it's really um, neat to see all that God is doing in our church through our church um, that's really really neat we had our big we're going to talk about it later we had our big celebration in Waverly this week we got that house built in the name of Jesus come on. Um, that's awesome. Put somebody in a house, and that's really cool. We are a big part of that. And uh, so today, um, we're, go- we're specifically going to, I looked at how do you close out this idea of, of, of an open-ended subject. And we're going to talk today about church in terms of how does it end, right? How, how does it end? And if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians. That's where we're going to go. 1 Thessalonians, it's right after the book of Acts, then you got the, the letters from Paul, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and right after that, you're going to find 1 Thessalonians. And my Bible is page 1009. Um, so Jesus made a promise, right? Jesus made a promise that Jesus is, he's going he's to return. Jesus is going to come back. And I want to tell you, um, whether you are a believer in Christ or not, the end of the world is, has been the subject of books and movies uh, for as long as people have been around. And so we are going to talk about how does this thing end? We are a collective whole made up of a bunch of individuals. So we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, uh, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Paul is, so if, if, you're not, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, that's okay because um, the new, we're all new to it at some point. But what would happen in, in those days is that the Apostle Paul or, or really any of the letters, they would have written them to a church in a town. For instance, it would be like this was a town called Thessalonica or think of Franklin, and they would have, the apostles would have written a letter and it would have gone to the church at Franklin. And me and many pastors and elders, we would have passed it around and they would have read it in the fellowship to all the different house churches because most of them were churches that met in homes. It was, it was a large movement full of very small churches. And, and so this was a letter to the church in Thessalonica. And, and so here we go, verse 13, and Paul says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. Or if you have the old King James, it might say ignorant. If you have the Southern version, it'd be ignorant. Um, but we, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep meaning those that are dead, so that you will not grieve as do the rest of who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. 
And for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord will not go before or precede those who've fallen asleep. Now he tells us what's going to happen. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now I've got to stop right there and tell you, one of the most harrowing experiences I ever had, uh, I was a seminary student getting my master's at Southwestern and we were singing some song and there was our, our, our uh, dean of worship, our dean of music was singing some song and he had, we, we were talking about some, it was some song about Jesus coming back and the trumpet call of God and uh, he had, posi- nobody ever sat in the balcony and, and, and nobody's, and he had positioned this trumpet player up in the balcony, right? And you, you're, you're singing this song because it's just chapel and you're going there because, you know, you, they didn't have good food. They had a vending machine and you can only eat so many Snickers in Jesus' name until you're sick of it. So, so you just go to chapel. And, and all of a sudden, you're, you're singing this song and this dude lays out on this bugle horn. And I think I lost 72 pounds in that moment. Like it, it just, it, it, it made you think like, whoa, it can happen that fast, you know. And, and so I thought that was awesome. And then you, it kind of woke you up in worship. And then it says, then we who are alive in verse 17 and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another. That's how we started this whole series, the one another statements, because the church is found in all the one another statements. They were written to churches. And so therefore comfort one another with these words. Now, as to the times and the seasons, he keeps on going. I mean, the original text didn't have, you know, chapter headings. So he just keeps going now as to the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need of anything to be written to you for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night while they are saying peace and safety Destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains on a woman with a child, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, you are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you're all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. But let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we are not, since we, since we are of the day, let us be sober minded, that is alert, having put on the breastplate or the armor, if you will, the chest plate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, says it again, and build one another up just as you are doing. Man, lot there. So how does this thing end? Now, I will tell you, um, when it comes to prophecy, uh, boy, prophecy is kind of a, uh, it's a moving target because um, it's one of those things, you got to understand, most people that I know that study prophecy spend, especially uh, people that are really into it, they can spend a whole lifetime looking at that. And, and especially theologians uh, and having devoted entire careers. I mean, this is, a, this is a whole subset of the Christian faith and, and understanding that all that goes on, it is a, I mean, libraries have been filled with books and debates about this idea of what's going to happen in the end. And so I would encourage you right out of the gate, don't step into what I would call like 
formulaic prophecy. People are always studying the scriptures to find, you know, the, 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 the perfect formula for how is this going to end? And, and is step one and step two and step three and step four. And, and we can get, I've watched a lot of Christians get really caught up in this exact map that's going to happen. And I'm here to tell you that wasn't Paul's goal here. It's not Paul's goal there. His goal is not to break down into debates. And, and in fact, that's why he says, verse 1, right? Look at this verse. Uh, first he said, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. Meaning, Jesus has already told us nobody knows except the Father. Don't, don't get hung up on that, right? Don't, don't get hung up on, because on, what they were wanting to know was times and dates. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's not your biggest issue. I promise you it's not your biggest issue. A lot of the times you'll find in Scripture, if God wants to go into a formula, he could do it. I mean, think about the Genesis account, right? A lot of people want to try to explain science using Genesis chapter 1, 2, or 3. Science wasn't even a science then. You follow? I mean, don't you think if God wanted us to know how he made the Adam, he would have told us? I mean, he, he put the whole creation account in like a chapter. And the point of that chapter was that the whole idea was back in those days, people thought many gods did many things. Moon god, sun god, earth god, river god, fire god, fertility god. No, 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 no. One god did all of it. That's the idea of Genesis. Well, the idea, the idea here is not that, that he's going to break down into all these formulas and propositions. It, he said, so you don't need to know. Don't worry about dates. And, and we even do that. I, I see Christians do it all the time uh, when it comes to heaven. One of the biggest questions I hear people ask all the time about heaven is, you know, am I going to see my loved ones? Well, yeah, but in what form? I don't really know. You know, people get really worked. Am I, am I going to see? Am I going to see my granddad? I'm going I'm to tell you something, friends. Heaven is not the, the number one goal on God's heart for heaven. Is not some big family reunion with coleslaw and fried chicken. <laughs> I promise you, it's really not. Right? It's not the greatest thing about heaven is Jesus. That's the greatest thing about heaven. In fact, some of your family members may not want to see you for all of eternity. I don't know, and that goes both ways, but I don't really know the answer to that. Are, are we going to be known as we were known? Yeah, but that, it doesn't really spell out exactly how that means, you know? I, I mean, you can go a lot of ways with that. Times and dates, and, and are we going to see people that are in Christ? Yeah, yeah but it, it doesn't really say exactly how. Don't you think that's by intention? It's by intention. Because if God wanted us to know every little jot and tittle, he would have told us. But Paul is saying, don't get hung up on the particular. I'm going to tell you something about heaven, friends. I don't know what it's going to be, what it's going to be like, but you are not going to be disappointed on any level. On any level. It, it, it won't matter. It really won't matter. So, so let's break it down in for a minute to two things that are happening in this passage Right, two things that are that are happening here in, in this passage. Because what, what happens is I think we end up spiritualizing our preferences. The Thessalonians were they had a preference. They wanted to know times and dates. We have preferences, and I've told you, you hear me say it all the time, and I'm gonna keep saying it to you. One of the fastest ways to for you to become spiritually frustrated with other people and with your church is to project your preferences onto things. 
because you're going to get, you're going to get really frustrated. Don't, don't do that. They were projecting a preference with times and dates, but in the Bible, if you notice that context is everything. Context drives the conversation. You, you, you have to read scripture in the context it was written. And the context of the Thessalonican church was they were scared. They were scared and they were tired. They were weary. They were watching their friends get killed for Christ. They were watching their friends get arrested. They were coming under severe persecution. And they really wanted to know, hey, when do we get to punch the exit button? I mean, you know, hey, Paul, you know, you, you were right there on the heels of it all. And, 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 and your buddies, Peter and James and those guys, they saw Jesus ascend and he said he's coming back. Well, like, come on already. They were, they were tired. And that's the context that this was written in. And what Paul is saying, friends, is he's saying, hey, calm down. This isn't your best life. Aren't you glad? This isn't your best life. Yeah, Jesus told you that some of you are going to get arrested. Yeah, Jesus told you some of you are going to get killed. Jesus told you that some of your families are going to turn on each other because of the name of Christ. This isn't your best life. Your best life is your next life. So, encourage one another. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And let, let, that, be, let that be like an injection of fuel into your bones. So let's talk for a minute then of how. How is Jesus going to return? Okay? Because he does spell that out. He does want you to know that. And he, and he tells us in, in verse 2 of chapter of chapter, let's, let's, in fact, let's start with, let's actually back it up. Let's start with verse 16 of chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. That's often referred to as the rapture of the church in, in, in the clouds. And we will meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so as to the times and seasons, brothers, you, you don't need to know about that. In other words, it's already been talked about. Jesus said, don't worry about it. For you yourselves know, verse 2, full well, that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. It's going to come when nobody expects it, when nobody's ready for it. So Jesus is going to come without warning, right? He's going to come without warning. Now, the Bible does give you indicators. You can read all about that in Revelation. You can read about it in some of the Gospels. But there are indicators of those times. But Jesus, whenever he decides to come, whenever he decides to hit the button, it's going to come in a time when nobody's going to expect it. He's going to come without warning. But there's another key thing that, that I believe that the Scriptures want us all to know. Not only is he going to come without warning, he's going to come, and the way I said it was, he's going to come without dispute. He's going to come globally without dispute. Let me tell you what I mean by that, okay? Tell you what I mean by that. If you look in verse 16 of chapter 4, it says, The Lord himself will descend. The Lord himself will descend. Now, the first appearing of Jesus, we're about to celebrate it, right? We don't know the exact date of Christmas. Most historians line up that it was probably sometime in that era of the calendar. But we celebrate it at a certain time of the year. We're about to celebrate the first appearing 
that Jesus came. But when Jesus came, there was a lot of dispute, even among God's people. Oh, he's not really the Messiah. What did they do? They injected their preferences. We don't want a Messiah like that. We want somebody to go kill all the Romans because we hate the Romans, and we're pretty sure God does too. No, that, that's, that, no that's not, I'm not who you want. Now, I didn't come to set up a political king because politics isn't your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is sin. And for that, I'm going to come for that. So he came and there's all kinds of disputes, but it says in verse 16 that the Lord himself will descend. I'm going to tell you something. People have been disputing for roughly 2,000 years if Jesus is the Messiah. But let me tell you something, friends. When the eastern sky splits, there will be no dispute. There will be no dispute. None. There will, be, there will be no dispute whatsoever. In fact, I think Paul talks about it even again in Philippians. He says this verse, Philippians uh, chapter 2. He says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue, every mouth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be no dispute. You know what that means? At the name of Jesus, every every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It means they will recognize. That is, notice what he just said. Every angel in heaven, every demon in hell, every human that's ever lived, every human that has been buried, every human that is on the earth now, kings and paupers, people who have a lot and people who have nothing. Regardless of language, tribe, nationality, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, agnostics, atheists, philosophers, illiterate people, every knee will recognize who Jesus is. There will be no dispute in that moment. In fact, and, and it's going to be it's going to be something that we can't put into the boundaries of space and time. Did you notice he said that that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And in verse 17, he says, Then we who are alive and remain, we will be caught up together with them. Where? In the clouds. So in other words, when I say he comes globally with no dispute, I know this is kind of hard to get your mind around, and I don't even know that I can explain it, and I don't even know that I'm explaining it properly, but I'm going to tell you. Just imagine like a global television screen where the whole world watched it, right? Imagine that... You know, right, I've always found it interesting, like, in, you know, depending on which hemisphere you're in, like, I can be looking at the same moon that somebody else in a different country can be looking at. I can be looking at the same sun that somebody else can be looking at thousands of miles away. When Jesus comes, it's going to be like that. He's going to come, and the whole earth, and there will be no place hidden. In fact, he just said there will be no escape from it. There'll be no escape from it. And we'll be caught up in the air, all of us united together. So that the, that's how he's going to do it. He's going to come unexpectedly, and he's going to come without dispute. But here's the bigger question that I think Paul's getting at. And it is why? Why? Why is it that Jesus is going to come? We know we have some indicators on how he's going to do it. Why? You ever thought about that? Well, I, I, can, I can tell you why he's going to come. 
based on what the scriptures tell me. And it is this. And I wrote it down and I said it this way. Jesus is returning because redemption leaves nothing unfinished. Redemption leaves nothing unfinished. He is not a God who carries your redemption halfway. See, there's a point in time if you came to Christ and repented of your sins, you were saved in that moment. Okay? And you've heard me talk about the middle ground, that constantly right now I am in the process. I was saved back there. I am still being saved. In other words, I'm becoming more like Christ, I hope, and I'm trying, and I'm, I'm, I'm working on letting myself be emptied of me and more of Christ, and that is a constant process on every level of my life. So I was saved back here. I'm in the middle ground. But on that particular day, it is done. There's no more striving. In fact, I think one of the... I've had this thought many times. I think for me, one of the greatest things of heaven will be that I will never again know what it feels like to to sin. Those days are done. Because it's all perfect. It's all perfected. So, when Jesus redeems us, he's going he's gonna to not leave it anything undone. And, and the, the reason he's writing about this idea of death here is because since the dawn of time and even to this very day, people are afraid of dying. And the word of God is telling us, for those that are in Christ, you don't need to fear it. You really don't need to fear it. You don't need to fear dying. You don't need to fear the process of dying because we are the ones who are in the light, the Bible says. He he tells us in in chapter 5 that we, we are of the day. We are not of the night. You see, what happens with sin is, is, is that sin destroys things. So the fact that we're going to be caught up, don't, don't miss the imagery there. It's really important that you don't miss the imagery, that we're all the dead and the living will be put together into one whole. And the reason that matters so much is because death doesn't have control over the believer. You with me? It doesn't have control over the believer. But hell is just the opposite. I think the worst thing about hell for people that reject Jesus and his authority over their life. It's not just that they're going to be tormented forever. They chose that part. They chose hell. Hell is what happens to people who tell God on earth, I, hey, I don't want you over my life. I, I don't want to come underneath the authority of who you are. I want it my own way. And he says, okay, you can have that, but it's not free. It's not free. Hell isn't, for, hell isn't just for evil people. Hell is for the unrepentant. And so, so in hell, perhaps the worst thing about it is the absence of union with God. It is eternal separation from God. It is eternal separation that God will not be there. He will not put his presence there. So there, that's why sin, see, sin isn't just that it's some moral reprobate doing bad thing. The thing about sin is sin breaks things. And sin is a death bringer. Jesus is a life giver. 
Sin is a death bringer. Sin divides. Sin separates you from God. That's why guys like me are constantly for the last 2,000 years encouraging you and pushing you and and emphatically doing everything we can to call all of us to to live in a way that that we don't have union with sin. Not because we want us all to be really nice people and, you know, we're good to each other. That's not the point. You don't need... Listen, friend. I'm preaching now. I'm going to stop a second. I need to get a breath. You don't need Jesus to be good. I'm serious. I know lots of good people that don't follow Jesus. It's easier if you know Jesus, but you don't need Jesus to be good. You need Jesus to be made holy. You need Jesus to be made clean. Anybody can be good if they want to. That's behavior-based ideas. No, the thing about sin it's not that we want every preachers like me want everybody to act right. No. Sin breaks union with God, and sin breaks union with one another. So Jesus, he brought it all together. He brought it all together. Look at what he says in Hebrews 9. <laughs> it says, So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. Like that is, if you were, if we were not all repressed, like introverted Baptists, we would, y'all would be shouting me down right now. That is some of the best news you're ever going to get, friend. That when Jesus comes a second time, there will be no reference to sin. Do you understand that for the non-believer, that day is going to be horrific? And for us, it is going to be, finally, yes, come on, been waiting on this one. It is going to be the best day. It is going to be the best day. Because redemption leaves nothing unfinished. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 1. Oh, I love this. He said, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Redemption leaves nothing unfinished. And his redemption of you is going to be full and complete. In in chapter 5, verse 9, look at what he says. Man, this is good news. For God has not destined us for wrath. Who's the us? You and me people in Christ, the church. He has not destined us for wrath, verse 9 of chapter 5, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or dead, we will live together in him. In other words, he died our death so we can live his life. And that's what it means for him to take your place. He died a death that you don't have to die so that we can share in a life that we didn't deserve. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will complete it. When Christ comes, he leaves nothing unfinished. Man, read the Bible. Read the scriptures. When we get a, Listen, from the beginning of time, God has always been about the process of redemption. There is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. 
I don't know how all that works. And if you think you do, I'm going to call you out as a weirdo. Because I don't think anybody really knows exactly because none of us have been there yet. And it hasn't happened. All I know is to trust God at his word. That whatever the heaven is and the the earth is now, there's like a better version. 2.0. Can you imagine? It's going to be amazing. But in that, but he's going to redeem creation. I, I do believe that we can know why there's going to be a new earth because the first earth, the earth we live on is broken by sin. It's broken by people. It's broken by all of us. It's broken by everything from, you know, toxic pollution of the environment to toxic pollution of the heart. And, and it, 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 it's a broken world. And we can try all we want to be stewards of it, and we should, but I'm telling you it's still broken no matter what we do. But there's going to be a new earth. Why? Because, because the, the first earth was broken by the power of sin, and God's going to restore that. You know why? Because he made it. He, and he, redemption leaves nothing unfinished. We're going to get a new body. Oh, come on. I know y'all can amen that. Whew, my gosh. Right? I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, true story, and he's like, you know, my shoulder's hurting, and I don't know why. I said, welcome to life after 40, buddy. You know? It only gets worse. What everybody tells me at 70, you know, Advil is what you keep in your pocket, you know. Cortisone shots, all this stuff. Amen or oh me, both, right? Yeah, we're going to get a new body. My metabolism is finally going to start working like it always. I don't even need metabolism. I'm going to eat, I think. Bible starts with food, ends with food. You figure it out. I'm telling you. I mean, we're going to get to do all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. The, the reality is we'll be a new people. And, and, and that, that is why Paul continues to say, and don't lose it. What does he say at the end of chapter 4? And comfort one another. There's your context indicator. They were worried. What's going to happen? Comfort one another. Friends, it is entirely, it is entirely possible and permissible for when you greet another Christian to tell them, hey, before we go, just remember Jesus is coming. Don't you think church would be a little happier if we did that? I think it would be. Maybe we should institute some of that. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And listen, you don't have to believe in that. You don't have to believe in gravity either. But you should try it sometime. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter what people believe. Jesus is coming. And because Jesus is coming, we don't have to worry about how hard it gets here. He says, comfort one another with these, these words. And that's what allowed the apostles to endure all the way to death. It's what allowed every woman and man of God to endure all the way to death. It's what allows us to endure a broken body that is failing us all the time unto death. It's, allow, it's what allows us to stay in the fight and stay in the game because if you're not dead, you're not done. And if you're not dead, you're not done because why? We're keep going. Why? Because we, this isn't our best life. It was supposed to be hard. And one day, somewhere over there in that general direction, the sky's going to split. The sky's going to split. And the king that told us, I will not leave you as orphans, he's coming. And he's going to gather all his people 
And we will be reunited forever with him because redemption leaves nothing unfinished. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.